The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples went into Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsingly him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him at once. His fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Glad you're joining us on the virtual service today. You know, this passage in Paul's letter to the Corinthians is pretty fascinating, talking about meat and what meat you can eat and not eat and what we might do if we really love our brothers and sisters like ourselves. And so I thought I would read it once more, but from the Message Bible. It's so fascinating how modern language can kind of change the tone of something and help us to maybe get a better understanding of what Paul was up against, what he was dealing with. And so without any delay, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13, from the Message Bible. The question keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered up to idols. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know it all. We need to know the answer to these kinds of questions. But sometimes our humble hearts can't help, can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. Verse 4, some people say, quite rightly, that idols have no actual existence, that there's nothing to them, that there is no God other than our one God, that no matter how many of these so-called gods are named and worshipped, they still don't add up to anything but a tall story. They say again, quite rightly, that there is only one God the Father, that everything comes from Him, and that He wants us to live for Him. Also, they say that there is only one Master, Jesus the Messiah, and that everything is for His sake, including us. Yes, it's true. Verse 7, in strict logic, then nothing happened to the meat when it was offered up to the idol. It's just like any other meat. I know that, and you know that, but knowing isn't everything. If it becomes everything, some people end up as know-it-alls who treat others as know-nothings. Real knowledge isn't what insensitifies. We need to be sensitive to the fact that we are not all the same level of understanding in this. Some of you have spent your entire lives eating idle meat and are sure that there's something bad in the meat that then becomes something bad inside of you. An imagination and a conscience shaped under the condition isn't going to change overnight, right? Verse 8. 
But fortunately, God doesn't grade us on our diet. We're neither commended when we clean our plate nor reprimanded when we just can't stomach it. But God does care when you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer still vulnerable to those old associations to be thrown off track. For instance, say you flaunt your freedom by going to a banquet thrown in honor of idols, where the main course is meat sacrificed to idols. Isn't there great danger if someone's still struggling over this issue, someone who looks up to you, kind, kindly sees you, and sees you as a mature Christian, sees you going into that banquet? The danger is that we, or he, will become terribly confused, maybe even to the point of getting mixed up himself in what his conscience tells him is wrong. Finally, verse 11, Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up going to dinner for him? Because as you say, it doesn't really make any difference. But it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. When you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there isn't worth it, at the cost of even one of the least of these falling away. So never go to those idol-tainted meals for there. If there's any chance, it will trip up one of your brothers or your sisters. We're the Lord, according to the Message Bible. Have you ever been to Ruth Chris or Morton's Steakhouse? When I lived in Houston, there was this wonderful restaurant called The Peddler, where actually a peddler would come out with this big slab of, of beef, and you picked the actual steak that you wanted. It was fantastic. They didn't have a butcher shop like that, or like the whole ox in Corinth. They didn't really have any type of restaurant that served up a really delicious steak. So if you wanted a nice piece of meat, you had to go to one of these Greco-Roman temples dedicated to idols. In those temples, they sacrificed animals to their gods. And then they had this big dinner party where they prepared the meat and served up the community. In one way, it's really nice hospitality, right? Now, Corinth was a very diverse city, and the church at Corinth was no exception. There were believers in and followers of Jesus who were from Jewish backgrounds, and there were believers who were from Greco-Roman backgrounds. And this eating meat sacrifice to idol issue was tearing them apart. It was dividing them. Some saw absolutely no problem with it. These idols aren't even real, they would say. And we know that there's no problem eating the meats that been sacrificed to them. So what's the big deal, they would say. We love a good steak, and it's our right to eat meat if we want to. And no one is going to stop us, not even those uptight people in our church who get offended by something as silly as meat. Others saw the practice as being highly offensive and dangerous. Probably those in the church from a Jewish background who had learned and read their whole lives of the history of their people falling time and time again to idolatry, and had heard of God continually warning of the dangers of idolatry. They stayed away at all cost from those temples and from anything associated with them. And they were offended and actually hurt by their Christian brothers and sisters who would dare enter such an evil place. So Paul's answer to them was simple. 
you people who are eating the meat, you're technically right. There's nothing wrong with it. But you're called to love and to care for those in your community. And while you're technically free to eat meat sacrificed to idols, why in the world would you use your freedom to destroy the very people you're called to love, the very people for whom Jesus died? In other words, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. There's an old saying that when being right becomes the point, love flies out the window. And the same is true here. When we exercise our personal libertarian freedom to become the point, love flies out the window. Friends, in our families and in God's family, the church, our highest calling is to the knowledge of our exercise, our freedom, our demands, and demands no rights. Our highest calling is actually to love. Paul is not speaking about knowledge in general, but of theological, intellectual arrogance that puffs people up. It's prideful. And the love of which Paul speaks is a self-giving love. It's a love that came to us when God himself gave up his right, gave up his freedom, humbled himself, became one of us, and loved for us, and he bled for us, and he died for us, and he rose for us, in order to forgive our sins and to reconcile us back to himself. It's a one-way love that goes from the lover to the beloved. It's a love not based on the worthiness or attractiveness of the other person, but on the overflow of God's one-way love for people, for us. Love such as this, Paul says, builds up. It edifies the community. The two terms are set against each other. Knowledge leads to spiritual arrogance where love promotes a healthy, vibrant spiritual community. So the deepest question we must ask as we live in biblical community with each other, whether that be in our church or in our families, is not, am I right? Or how can I defend my rights and exercise my freedom? No, the deepest question we must ask is how can I love my neighbor? How can I give of myself for the sake of my neighbor? What right can I give up in order to love and build up and encourage my neighbor? or my mom, or my dad, or my brother or sister, or my son or my daughter, or even that bossy mother-in-law you might have? What rights can you give up in order to show them the love that Jesus showed you? We live in a culture that pushes ever deeper into their own selfish tendencies. Libertarian individualism, individualism is utterly tearing us apart. And Jesus invites us out of individualism. Jesus invites us not to demand our rights, but to learn how to give up our rights for the sake of our neighbors. Because I love my neighbor and because I love my God. So the question, I have one for you, as I typically do. What does this look like? Or what can it look like? In recent years, we saw it around something as simple as wearing a mask in this place. And back two years ago when we were required to wear masks, some people were very frustrated with it. The idea of being forced to wear a mask went against their rights. 
And yet we chose as a community to wear them so that everybody could be comfortable. We gave up the right to not wear it so that everyone felt comfortable. You know, to be honest, I'd wear a mask every single Sunday if it meant someone might come and hear the good news of Jesus. I think of my buddy Thad, singer-songwriter. He went to seminary with me, got his MDiv, was, uh, was uh, ordained. And rather than taking a posh job in a nice Episcopal church somewhere, he decided to make his church plant a pub, a honky-tonk, a bar, a club, where he wrote not Christian music, but good music that drew people's heart to something bigger, where he earned the right to be heard, where he could tell them and teach them the good news of the gospel. And he's seen thousands of people come to know Jesus, all because he gave up his right to take a nice church and to go into the places where probably Jesus would go. Back in 2020, he put an album out, and for the first time he had a song that was going to get some radio play. And he thought to himself, well, maybe something big's about to happen. And then the pandemic happened, and he didn't get to tour his album, and he's frustrated, ready to throw in his hat. When out of the blue, he got a phone call from the most unusual person. This person was in their hometown hardware store in northern Connecticut when his song, Swinging, came on, and it touched him, changed him. He had to know more about this artist. And he reached out to Thad's publicist, learned about him, and wanted to have a conversation with him. And so Thad had a conversation with Jimmy Fallon of The Tonight Show. And they had a wonderful conversation, and Thad was able to present to him the good news and tell him his story of writing music and making his church the honky-tonk. And Jimmy decided to have him on his show, to let him make a big debut on The Tonight Show. Jimmy could have had anybody on. Any artist, you name him, he could have had him, but he chose to give up his right to take a big name, to take Thad, to tell his story, because he was touched by him. What rights can you give up in order to love and care for the people around you? You know, a big divider in our culture today is around politics. And that's why I promise we will never have political sermons from this pulpit. We will not touch politics. You will never have a politician preach to you because it misses the point. Our jobs here on Sunday morning is to leave our differences outside those doors and to come into a place that is safe where we can together lay down our individual rights and grow in love for each other and for Jesus. There are all kinds of ways we can choose not to eat meat in our world today in an effort that some might hear. My hope and prayer is that this homily has made you ask, what are some rights that I can lay aside in order to show Jesus self-giving, self-sacrificing love for perhaps my family or my friends or my colleagues or my neighbors or even my enemy? St. Francis wrote a beautiful prayer that I think ties this whole sermon up in a bow. St. Francis prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let me so love. Where there is injury, let me show pardon. Where there is doubt, may I give faith. Where there is despair, may I provide hope. Where there is darkness, may I be the light. Where there is sadness, joy. 
O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to understand as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we too are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Friends, may we choose to give up our rights of eating whatever the meat du jour is of the day, to love others. Amen. Mm-hmm.